All right, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Now, I'm not going to review and go through every proverb, obviously. Last week we went through Proverbs 10, 11, and 12, but I hope that you will kind of, when in your study time, because the questions don't take you that long to do, but that you will take time to kind of go back and forth and just kind of um, work these lessons and, and go back and review. And, and did you notice that in Proverbs 10, 11, and 12, Solomon is really gearing in on, well, <laughs> the subject of laziness came up quite a bit. He expects us to be working and serving. He expects us to, no matter what new season of life we're in, there's always something that he that we are able to do for him, and and um, and he knows and he's trying to say to us that that's good for us. I mean, what good is it if you are just sitting there and you have nothing to do and all you do is think about you? You tell me what happens. Anything good? No, nothing good happens when you just sit there and all you do is think about you and your situation and your needs and your everything. No, see, that's why the, the Proverbs are very enlightening, saying, I'm just trying to help you in, in a sense that you will be so much fuller and richer and, and your life will have, have so much more meaning if you just stop thinking about yourself all the time. And then he talked at length about the, the reckless words that we, that we use sometimes, um, the, the trouble our mouths can get us in, and he's well aware of that danger. And so, again, he says, listen to wisdom, because once these words are out, you know, once these words are out. So he, he's just trying to say, we've got to watch what we're doing. So, um, and then, of course, you know, we, we've been talking about that word hope and, and the two different definitions of hope. And so we're going to get more into that. But, okay, now, Romans 5 it says, therefore, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, and it's true, we have been justified through faith. And so what Paul is saying, it's a continuation of chapter 4, and chapter 4 was about that word faith, and that, that faith is nothing new. He expected Abraham to absolutely trust him. He expected David to absolutely trust him. And because he doesn't change, he expects us to absolutely trust him. Now, we have been justified by faith. And what does that word justified mean? When we know we're still sinners, we know that we still do things wrong. And yet, when our God looks at us, what does he see? Just as if we had never sinned, he sees us as holy and blameless. I mean, when he, when he looks at us through his son and through his son's shed blood, he sees us as blameless. And it's such, a, I mean, that is such a beautiful word. But now, how did that come to be? Well, we had, by faith, had to, had to take that walk and take that walk to Calvary. And I know I say that all the time, but this is this whole chapter, what is Paul doing? Taking us back there. He's making sure that all stems from this. Everything 
everything that really counts in your life started the day that you were exposed for what you really were. And then you realized that by faith you believed that the Bible said you needed to go to the cross of Christ. You had to believe that that cross really had a Savior on it. You had to believe that, that, that hundreds of years ago at this particular time of year, we celebrate that an angel came and said, a Savior is, is, is here. By faith, you believe that a Savior came. By faith, you believed he lived 33 years, and he went to that cross willingly. He died, shed his blood. You and I, by faith, believe that happened. We believe that he rose again and that he just conquered death so that you and I will not ever die. The part of us that really matters will never die. And we know, again, by faith, because we've watched this Bible work prophecies and every word comes through, so we know that that Jesus was very explicit about that he's going but coming back. And he's going to receive his children unto himself. Now, that's what he says, therefore, you have been justified, and you now have these wonderful perks to to live so abundant and fulfilled and worth, worth it. Instead of feeling worthless, you have this hope that you can, you can know is a sure thing. So, I mean, he stems it. He goes right on and says, okay, now, therefore, since you've been justified by faith, now, come on, look what you've got. Look what you've got because you were willing to take a look at yourself and realize and by faith believe that you needed salvation and you had someone who could save you. Now, because of that, look what you get. We have peace with God. Now, peace with God, when you can live in peace, no matter with all the chaos and the ruckus and the, and the ups and downs of life and the disappointments and all those kinds of things, you can have peace with God. How? How can you still have peace? That means that you are calm. That doesn't mean you don't feel. It means that you have, your faith is bigger than these feelings and you have peace with God. What do you know? What do you know that gives you peace your sins are forgiven, and that should, be, that should be the main thing, that you know that your sins, that should be the worst thing that you know about yourself, and that that's all been taken care of. So, but what can give you an I peace, what can give, give you an I peace in the middle of our somethings? When our natural human nature was to take us for a ride of fear and panic and worry and discontent and hopelessness. You know God is in control. See, you know that. See, you got to keep going back. That writer of Hebrews was so smart. Keep going back and paying attention to what you have learned. Keep going over it. Bonnie, what did you say? Nothing touches our lives without his 
without his permission. And if you need proof of that, you just go in your Bibles because that's always got the answer. Job chapter 1. You know that God is still in control of everything that touches you. And apparently, I heard a friend of mine say one time I, that she, she had this phrase that she would say all the time. In fact, it kind of drove me crazy after a while until I realized how true it was. If it's okay with God, it's okay with me. Oh, I thought that's a, I thought that was such a flippant little answer. And you know what? It is so true. When you come to that, when you come to that realization that if it's okay with God, then it should be okay with us. Because what Paul is going to teach us in this fifth chapter, you're going to see that he is always working for our good. And sometimes he's got to speak in language that isn't always comfortable and happy. So, but what else gives you peace? What gives you peace in the middle of, because you've been justified, you can claim this, you can know this. Yeah, it gives you that hope. Listen, watch, watch how the Lord keeps bringing back the truths of Scripture to you. That he will be with you. That nothing can separate you from his. Um, that, uh, that I will, I will um, not only will I be there, but I will walk the, through you. I will walk it with you, through you. So, I mean, all these promises that he gives. So that's how you can have peace with God. Feed in scripture through your heart and mind. What? Let's write. What did he say? What did he say in the middle of this? I can what? It's still, it goes back to how much have you hidden God's word in your heart? And that's the Holy Spirit's job is then to help you recall it when you need it. And then what's another thing he said? You will have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we now have what? Gained access Oh, man, we don't need a mediator. We don't have to go through another person. That means if you're in your car, whether you're home, whether no matter where you are, if you're in the hospital room, you're in the funeral home. I mean, I'm talking life here. You have access to God who then will show you that I will be there to get you through that. You have access to him. You can cry out to him. He is real. He's right there. And his wisdom, he wants to feed truth into your ear. So you have access by faith into his grace. Oh, that word, it was, it was Paul's favorite. I know it's Paul's favorite because he knows that grace did it all. Grace absolutely does it all. That's why he said, in this grace, we now stand. I, I thought that when he put it that way, doesn't that give you just such a, a, a power and a, and a strength? That I can stand in this. I'm not crumbling in this. Instead, I'm standing. I'm not pushed over. I stand in this. I, I thought that visual was beautiful. And what else? And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, those first two verses, 
they are, oh, they're so, they're so good because it shows you what we have, those three things, and, and then it says, rejoice, rejoice because they're true and because of being justified, we can live like this. We can live in that kind of hope. And for that, we just praise. You know, sometimes I just wish. Last night I did this too. I, said, I wish we weren't so Dutch and so conservative. <laughs> and maybe some of you aren't Dutch. Well, then what is your problem then? <laughs> then what is your excuse? Because Southern. Southern. But, you know, whatever, whatever is holding us back. I use Dutch conservatism as, you know, two big ones. But, but I'm thinking when you read these two verses, whatever, what is your problem? Because what should you and I be doing about right now? What should you be saying? That's right. An amen and a hallelujah. A praise the Lord. I mean, this is over the top. And that's why he says rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because we didn't deserve a bit of it. But because of his love for us, we can have those three precious things. We can live in peace. We have access to him anytime, anywhere. And we can live in the hope, but not the, the wishful thinking kind of earthly hope. But we live in the hope that is for sure. Blessed assurance. Now, he flips it a little. And he says, not only so. You know, you can understand that. You know, we're excited. It's all those great things. But then he says, but I want you to also see that you can rejoice in what? In your tribulation, in your suffering. Now, that is a real flip, isn't it? He's using the same word, rejoice, but he's flipping it, saying you can, you don't lose your joy. Did you notice that the root word of rejoice is joy? It's a fruit of God's spirit. That's why you need God's spirit, where the spirit of the Lord is. There's love and peace and joy, just like what we say. The Holy Spirit is the one that will generate joy even in the midst of, that's why the word doesn't say happy. Because happy, we're not always happy, especially when we get to this third verse. When you're in the middle of your suffering or your tribulation or whatever, you are not happy. In the sense of the word that we know happy, you know, just laughing and jumping up and down and, you know, that kind of, no, we're not happy. And yet he says, you can still, you can still have joy. Because that's what the Spirit, that's the wisdom of the Spirit trying to tell you and for you to listen that the most important thing in your life, He can, no one or nothing can take away from you. So, and remember that in your suffering, He's still doing something good. Now, unless you really have a, a desire to have a real relationship with your Savior, that is not going to make sense. In fact, you're going to want to not hear that verse. 
But if you love your Savior and you appreciate and are so grateful for what he's done for you, and he's saying, I want to teach you this because this is how you're going to experience abundant life. Otherwise, you're going to go wallowing to your corner and you're just going to waste so much. You're going to miss seeing all what I've come to do. I didn't just do this so you would have a heavenly home. That's great in and of itself. But I did this so you could have abundant life now. So he says you can have joy if you're willing to let the Holy Spirit produce joy in you, reminding you of what the first two verses. How do you do verse 3? By remembering the first two verses of Romans 5. To know that that is a for sure thing and you, have, you are not alone. You have access to an almighty God. He, he wants you to live at peace with him. He wants you to live in that hope that, yes, you've got something to hang on to. See, by giving you those first two verses, he's saying, okay, now I can tell you that, yes, there is going to be some suffering in this life. And the Lord is doing it. And he, I had a lady, I had a lady tell me, she says, no, don't ever say suffering is from the Lord. And I said, well, I know it. I wish I didn't have to tell you that. But he, he, did, he knows. He knows what we need. What would happen if you and I got everything we wanted all the time? We would, Carolyn, you're right. We would forget him. We wouldn't need him. So then, out of, you know, if we didn't need him, if we didn't have to cling to him, well, then pretty soon he's out of our mind. He's just totally out of the picture. See, he knows us so well. So we know that's why rejoice, rejoice, Paul says. And I like taking it from a man that's been around the block with this thing. You know, we're not talking about someone who's never experienced this. He has experienced it. So he is saying, I, I'm telling you, you can still have this joy even in suffering because he knows, he knows that if he gave you everything you wanted all the time, you wouldn't be clinging. And he wants us clinging to him. So rejoice in that, that he loves you enough to know how hot to get that water so that he can mold you into what he intended for you to be. So rejoice in your suffering. Did you see how in this progression you can, you can see that this suffering, if you allow him to work, you can see that this suffering will produce a perseverance. Now, I don't know if you looked up that verse. I thought I knew what that word meant, but I looked it up in the dictionary and I'm so glad I did because then you see different synonyms and that helps because perseverance, that, that means words like steadfast. In fact, I even used that today in, in our prayer because I've learned that this week. I, I, I want to persevere. I want to be steadfast. Another word, it was determination and strong. Those were synonyms, but the, but the actual definition was steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty. Isn't that great? See, steadfast, perseverance. See, that's why he said in the first two verses, and which I now stand. 
See, you're not falling over. You're standing in this. You're steadfast in this. So you need some suffering so that you cling, so that then you will listen to him, so then you will learn that you need perseverance because life is going to be difficult. So steadfastness and doing something despite difficulty. I'm going to stand in what I believe, Lord Jesus. I'm going to stand in the fact that my faith, I'm absolutely trusting you, even though this makes no sense at all. This difficult situation, I am going to persevere. See, he wants us like that. Strong, determined. I'm not going to my corner. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. I'm not going to keep asking you why. Instead, I'm going to trust that in my suffering, you're going to work things that would have never happened otherwise. So, perseverance then leads, okay, once you've gotten a handle and understanding of what perseverance is, your suffering is going to cause you to persevere. Well, then, who does that start to look like? You start to look like Jesus because you're not a pushover. You are sure. Jesus was so sure of who he was, wasn't he? And when you get to that and his character, we should be wanting to be more like him. We should be taking on his character. And I know that the nine fruit of the Spirit are the character of Jesus. We should be seeing more of those nine fruit in our lives coming out of our lives. And unfortunately, because he knows us so well, he's saying, uh, that's the only way you're going to really get there. Because if I left you with just you having your way all the time, this perseverance, this character of Christ would never happen. You would be so self-centered. So, you suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance then produces Christ-like character. So that out of us comes this light and life that not only benefits our own self, but that benefits everyone around you. Because you, when you're in your corner, you tell me who you're benefiting. But when you stand and you are steadfast and, and you are trusting, even though, yes, you feel, but that faith is stronger, people see that. And then it leads you to what? Hope. There's that word. Oh, what a beauty. Hope. And there again, I think we're getting an understanding of what that hope, not the wishful thinking hope, the hope that is sure because of what we've studied. And hope does not disappoint us. Isn't that good? You hold on to that, that sure, sure thing. You hold on to that hope. The hope that you know God's word said, God's promises, God's future for us, God's love for us. You hold on to that. It will never come back and disappoint you. In fact, I would dare say, I don't know how, you know, there were so many heavy, heavy requests this morning. And there is, so it's very obvious that there's a lot of heavy life going on. 
And maybe you were heavy laden when you walked in the door this morning. I want to know how you're feeling now. I mean, you cannot, honestly, if you are, like I said, you've got to want to hear them. I mean, you can stay stuck in, in that chair and you can stay stuck and saying, nope, that doesn't mean me. Nope, nope, but there's a yeah, but here somewhere. My situation is different. No, you can still say that. But if you are willing to take these words and listen and learn from them and believe them, yeah, your situation might not change, but watch what it does to your countenance and your disposition and your hope. Your hope in that his word is true, all you have to do is hold on to it. It will never disappoint you. Think we need to go over these words every now and then? I think we do. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. He's poured out. Didn't you like that? He could have said, trinkled in. No, he pours out his love. He pours out his love. He's so generous. He pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Did you notice in the question, I hope you didn't think, boy, she didn't know what to, she didn't know what to ask. Every, every question is the same. How can it change your life? How can it change your life? How can it change your life? I did that on three, four, five, and six. I knew exactly what I was doing. Because by, the, by four times, I was hoping you would say, I get the point that this, I can't stay the same. That this does, it, this is a life-changing message. It changes your life in every way. That was my answer to every, every one of them. How, did, how, how can being justified change your life? How can having peace with God change my life? How can the thought that I'm no longer guilty and I have access to God because of that, how can that change my life? That I can live in sure hope. How can that change my life? I'm telling you, in every way. And then he goes on in verse 6. You see, didn't just love the casualness. You see, I mean, that's how people talk, and that's how he's writing this letter. It, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, so this chapter, I mean, he is continuously bringing us back where? What is he trying to get across? And I think this is the gist of this chapter, and really uh, the book of Romans is always remember who you were and what you were without a Savior. And the thing is that the more you go back and realize, then you will realize how great you've got it. So Paul is saying this is necessary. You see, at just the right time, you got to know that you, when you were still powerless, which means you didn't have those Holy Spirit inside of you, so that means you were lost. As the two songs we sang this morning, you were still a wretch. The Bible said you are an enemy of God. All those, all those phrases. Christ died for you. Christ died for the ungodly, which means you. 
which means me. Very rarely, and then he puts it into a, a like you can try understanding this. Um, he says, very rarely does anybody die for someone who's righteous, let alone someone who isn't, who's guilty. I mean, the way he put it, he says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But that's slim picking. I mean, that's not a normal thing. You just don't die for someone. So he says, okay, in knowing that he was willing to die for you, now that's a real demonstration of love, wouldn't you say? And that's what Paul's saying. See, but God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, isn't that true that, that you've known that verse, you could quote that verse, but don't you love it now in the context of this letter, of all what preceded it to get him and to see his purpose of why he's, he's saying that right now? So, you know, I think he's saying right now, now stop, just stop, be quiet, and just Think about what you were and that he demonstrated this unbelievable, unconditional love and sent you a Savior. You didn't even know you needed him. You know, so I think he's saying, because he's not talking to pagans, he's saying, Christians, you need to stop once in a while. And you need to go back to the very fact of what you were and who you were. And then maybe you will appreciate. Maybe this story won't get so ho-hum. If it's getting ho-hum, then you need verses 6 and 7 and 8 far, far more than you thought you did. And if you aren't excited, if you aren't, if this isn't changing your life, if this isn't causing you to be, you can see a difference between old and new nature, then go back and see yourself. Since we have now been justified by his blood. Now, did you notice a little phrase? I circled it after a while because I, how many times Paul said it? How much more? He wants us to take a look. How much more? So here he says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more? Shall we be saved from God's wrath? He's saying, okay, I want you to stop and look at that. You've been justified by his blood. You could be facing his wrath. But instead, you've been justified by his blood. You've been saved. You've been saved from that, from God's wrath. You've been saved from God's wrath. For if, when we were God's enemies, boy, that's a, that's a punch, right? Isn't it? I mean, because not one of us want to think that we were once an enemy of God. But when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? How much more? So he's saying, I want you to think more about what this means that you can live in this. 
how much more we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not, not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So verses 6, 7, and 8. And then he comes back in 9, 10, and 11. And I think it's just a timeout kind of verse. Those kind of verses, I think, say timeout. I want you to go back, and I want you to realize how much more. And so if you are defeated and discouraged and you're living in hopelessness and you have no meaning, you know, I had the best time with, I've been taking my grandchildren out one at a time lately for Christmas kind of thing now that they're getting older, you know. And so I had Oliver. Oliver is my 10-year-old. And he and I, he's, he's my real thinker, and he is my one that's, uh, he's not sports, he's just, um, he loves to learn, he just loves to investigate, he just, just you know, he's got the little glasses, you know, just one of those. And he was sitting in the back seat, and we were riding to downtown, because he loves Sandcastle, and so we were riding downtown, and all of a sudden, he says, you know what a good question is, Grandma? Oh, boy. And he said, and you know when you've got someone that smart, you think, oh, boy. And he said, I would just love, this is my question. What is life anyway? <laughs> what is life anyway? What's life for? What's life about? <laughs> and... And I thought, now where do you go with something like this? And so, I've been, again, I trust God's spirit. God's spirit is living within us, and I want to hear his wisdom. And I have an opportunity. He, I've got a captive audience here. We are just the two of us in the car. And I, I started by saying, you know, Oliver, we are all unique. Every one of us. Every one of us is unique. We're like snowflakes. And the reason why life, in my book, is because when God thought about you, when God thought about me, he knew exactly why he was going to create you and create me. He had a purpose in mind. He had a plan in mind. And so then he made us accordingly. So we would have what it took to be able to fulfill that plan. That's life to me. That we should want to know what God's plan is for us. Because that's when we're really going to experience life. And he's just thinking, and I know he's smart enough to comprehend this. And he says, I know we're all unique, but you know what we have in common? And I was anxious for that one. I said, why? What do we? We're all, we're all unique. Not one of us is the same. What do we have in common, Oliver? We're all unique. And I, and I thought that was cute. But then, I, but then again, I, I know the Holy Spirit fed my mind. And I said, I know, I know another reason why we're unique. And I know another reason why we, in one sense, are all the same. 
even though we're so individual and we all have a purpose, and that's why we're all uniquely made, but the one thing we do have in common, yes, what we do have in common is that we're all unique. But to me, the biggest thing that we all have in common is that we all do things wrong. And unfortunately, it's called sin. And that's why we all need a Savior. We all need Jesus. You know, and I thought, what an opportunity for, even though, yes, I want him to know his uniqueness, that he's specially made, that, that he doesn't have to do sports because sometimes he gets teased and, you know, he's got this unique quality about him. But that uniqueness he is good. That God had a special purpose in mind for him and for me and for you. But what do we have in common? I think, I think that that's good to say that all, and this also prevents division because what do we all in this world, black, white, whatever, we all have this in common is that we all are sinners and we all need a Savior. We need Jesus. And I think this is simply what Paul is trying to say in this chapter. We all need to go back and, and look at that again. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, this was Paul's way of saying, you know what? Through one circumstance, through one story, Genesis 3, through, the, this, through Adam, through Adam and Eve, through this one, this one simple temptation, this one luring, you know, when everything was perfect and the relationship with God was perfect, you know, you want to shake Eve and say, what were you thinking? <laughs> well, you know what? The same story is ours today. He's right there. Wisdom is calling out in her ear. But so is self calling and you have to decide which voice you're going to listen to. And, and it just took a look at that one simple little stepping away and wanting to listen. Did God really say that little element of doubt? And you know what? You could be like God. Oh, that sounds good. That's all it takes. It's all about all of a sudden you just stepped. It's not about him. It's about me. And whenever you better know the next step is not going to be good. When you've reversed who is in control of you. And so, through that one temptation, this whole world was changed. From then on, everyone was conceived, born in sin. Every one of us had the title. And he says this, for before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. I mean, what he's saying, you know, just in case you think that the sin has taken on a different, different kind of connotation from Adam to Moses and once the law was written. No, sin still results in death. And since the fall of man, sin has come into the world, and every person, every man, woman, child, is born in sin. That started back Genesis 3. And the law, yeah, the law was written. Moses had the law written, but we're going to see that the law was written to even show you your sin more. 
But as far as, he said, as far as sin, no, that started right there in Genesis 3, and it has continued, and the result of sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. Well, when you, when you say that, you know, there's, if there's not a law, there's not a law to break. So he's saying just because there was no law, you know, just because there was no law written, they still were sinners. But once the law was written, Oh, we'll get into that. So um, it says, even over those who, who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. That is an underlined statement. That is a star statement. That is a circle. I mean, that is so, how do you put it? Um, that is the understatement of the year. The gift is not like the trespass. I mean, no matter how bad you are, no matter what you've done, the gift of Jesus. I mean, is there anybody? That's why this, that one line, if anybody says, you know what, I have just done too much. I have, I have stepped over the line, and I'm sure there's no, you know, there's no grace for me here. Whenever, no, you could go right back to there and say, no, his gift is so beyond the trespass. So you, that's never an excuse that, no, he couldn't possibly accept me. And see, you know why? Paul understood that. Because Paul, what did he call himself? The worst of sinners. I put, I put Christians persecuted them. I put them to death. I thought they, that they were wrong. I was zealously trying and all my religion. So he says, oh, and yet his grace covered that. I bear that no more. Don't you just love that in that song? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Man, I lose it every time when it comes to that. Because of that sentence, the gift is not like the trespass. Oh, no. His gift did it, took care of it all. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more? So, yes, you know, because of Adam, we are all, we are all sinners. But how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. Now, did you notice there were two words describing? For if, look at, for, I'm going back to verse 15. For if the many died by the trespass, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. So pretty much what does that say? His grace covered, oh, every one of us are sinners. But what, who, who does his grace cover? Everybody. When I saw the, the two, the many, 
The many are guilty because of Adam. But the same number, the many, can be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. How much more? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. I mean, it is good to really see yourself and say, oh, I am a mess. I am such a sinner. I mean, that's good. But then you've got to go on and say, but look what, look what that gift of God covered. So the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. Yeah, that was a consequence back in Genesis 3. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. Here's another. How much more? How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Don't even try to compare. I mean, you know, have you ever tried trading? If you ever trade? I mean, here is a trade that there is just no way you can trade equal here. You are trading your, your sinful self for complete righteousness. That's what Paul says. Just look at, yeah, this is why you surrender all. You surrender your worthlessness, but look what you get in return. I mean, that is an unbelievable trade. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. There, there again, all men, all men. So who is, who is salvation for? That's right. He died for everybody. I mean, I think right there, the, the many and... When you see words like that, and then you see amen. I mean, I don't know how much clearer. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. Okay. Here's the many again. So also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So he did his part, but then how come not, I mean, the many under Adam, that's for everybody. But how come, even though what he did was for the many and all men, how come all men are walking away from this? How come some men are walking away from this? What do you have to see here? He did his part. What does he expect? us to do our part, obedience. He expects us to take a look at ourselves, realize, I mean, he's done his, but then he puts it right back in our, I mean, yep, the many, that means all of us, all men are sinners. He took care of it for the many, Jesus did, for all men. 
but it does show, then we have a responsibility. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. See, what, what he's basically saying is before the law, I mean, you were sinners and, you know, you didn't realize it because you didn't have a law that showed you. So when Moses wrote the law, it just showed you a greater picture of yourself. And that's the, that's the you know, the good of the law. It, it does. It shows you how badly you need them. So when he said the law was added so that the trespass might increase. Now, why is that good? What is, what is the purpose? So that you see yourself and what? The more you see clearly of yourself, um, what do you think that whole purpose is? To, again, to jumpstart you into realizing, to seek out more, to realize, well, then are we hopeless? Are we just, is this just a done deal? We're just lost? We're staying in our condition? I mean, I think this is why when we studied Revelation, remember when, uh, when the angel came and said, who can take the scroll who can take the scroll? And, and that scroll was the deed to planet Earth. Who can take the scroll? And who can, who can take it and, and make everything right again? And it said that there was no one. There was no one there. There, there, was, you know, there was no human or creature. There was no angel. I mean, there was no, um, even Billy Graham, Mother Teresa. I mean, they just did there. And it said, John wept. He didn't just cry a little. He just wept. He wailed because he realized that if no one could take the scroll to come back and judge this earth and make wrong right and get rid of evil in the enemy once and for all, then we, we stay stuck in this. We stay lost. We stay wretches. We stay hopeless. And then all of a sudden, but there is one, and Jesus steps to the plate, and you can almost picture him take that scroll from the Father's hand, and judgment starts. And it said, oh, you got to read this, because and this is another exciting point, because after Jesus took that scroll, it said, heaven erupted. Because we are not stuck in this. That's the hope we live in. That's what, that's what Paul is trying to get us to see. Would you take a look at your life and see what life is all about? Oh, Oliver, thank you. And Paul, thank you for explaining it so that I could know this. This is life. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We live knowing that we live in eternal life. Our eternal life started the second we walked to that cross and accepted Christ as our Savior. Our eternal life, because our eternal destination, destination started in that split second. So in the last of the questions, 
What does God's love save you from? What, what has God's love in all of this? In chapter 5, what does it remind you? You have been saved from what? From God's wrath. You've been saved from yourself. Even right now, you don't have to listen to that folly, that self-voice. You don't have to. No, he saved you to give you everything. So remember what Paul said, and that's why we started the book of Proverbs, because Paul said, now be careful. Now be careful that you don't live as the unwise, but that you live as the wise. That you live listening to the wisdom, his commands, his instructions. You're listening to his spirit, his, his wisdom that, that is so prevalent right, right where you're at if you want to hear it. So God's love has saved you from your sin, from yourself, from God's wrath, from judgment, from hell. I'll tell you, God's love saved me from just absolutely every way. He's changed everything. Well, how redeeming, how redeeming was the work on the cross? You didn't need, you didn't need that whole white space, I'll tell you. How redeeming was the death of another man, Jesus? How redeeming, as you saw, you know, the, when, when Paul just kept saying, how much more, how much more, how much more, how much more, how, how redeeming was the death? Did it work? Yeah, completely. If you need one word there, how redeeming was the death of another man, Jesus? Complete. And in verses 20 and 21, I, I pray that you just went and took some time and read verses 20 and 21. Put yourself in there and realize that is what happened to you. Yeah, the law. God's word showed me that I was a sinner. Yes, I saw my trespass. I saw I was a sinner. But where sin increased, grace increased the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord, what is the point he's saying? Um, realize it. And come on, live like it. If you're getting so bogged down, what are you bogged down with? Have these verses really changed your life? And he's saying, if it's just words on a page, it's just questions that you felt you should answer. And uh, no, he's saying, if you, if this means anything to you, you are going to change. So what's the point of this lesson? The same one that's been from Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. He is going to make sure we know that, yes, we were once Sinners, And yes, we are still sinners, but we are saved by grace. I'm telling you, that's a great way to live. Have a good week.